is uh, Jason Moriarty. Uh, most of you already know who I am. Uh, some of you may be new to this church, uh, so you're not familiar with uh, the Moriartys. Uh, in 2000, the church here in Calgary sent us to Papua New Guinea uh, to reach lost people there and establish churches. Uh, we came back in 2009 after basically 10 years of service there and have been in the process of praying and seeking God's direction. And so I'm here to make the announcement. It's not that we're having our third child. Uh, Cheryl wants one, but that takes two to make it happen. Uh, uh, it might be down the road. But uh, that, uh, yeah, we're heading to northern Australia, actually. Uh, and I'm on my way now uh, to make preparations for that uh, on Wednesday uh, to start setting up camp. And Cheryl and the kids will join me, or I will come and get them at the end of May. And so that's the big announcement. Uh, why Northern Australia? I'll just, uh, the city is Cairns. If you look it up on the internet, it's spelled Cairns. And, uh, there's basically four reasons that have motivated us, uh, to that place, uh, at this point in time. The first one is that God has really directed us to Cairns. Uh, most people would say, uh, how could you not want to go to Australia in 2009? That was not our desire at all, uh, really, to go to Australia. Uh, but it's been the past two years that God has been over and over and over again uh, through pa- prayer, uh, direction, through people pointing us to Australia. And so we stand here confident saying, not just us, but others that have seen God working directing us to, that God is directing us there. So we stand in confidence knowing that God is sending us there. The second is that, uh, just like Acts, I guess we're going through Acts uh, 16, uh, that Paul had the Macedonian call where he was invited to go to Macedonia. He had always tried to go to Bithynia, but God had directed him there. Uh, in 2009 and 2010, there were several families uh, in Cairns, Australia. They're leaders of the church in Papua New Guinea. They're mixed race and have migrated to Cairns, Australia. They have invited us to be partner, partner with them in establishing a church there and reaching out from there. So, so that's a real positive thing that we won't be going alone. We'll be partnering with Australians in the effort there. Uh, the third one is that uh, Cairns is really a unique place uh, in Australia in that uh, it's not just Australians there. It's a mixture of uh, Australians, Pacific Islanders, and Papua New Guineans there. Six percent of Cairns is Papua New Guinean. Uh, there are over 9,000 Papua New Guineans living in Cairns. So in terms of establishing a church, we already have relationships on the ground there. Uh, we have a huge connection with, uh, with Papua New Guineans and then the Pacific Islanders. So it's a really neat mixture. You have Australians moving from the big cities to Cairns because Cairns really has a different value base than the big cities. Cairns is built on relationships and community. And then you have this big uh, island population base, Pacific Islanders, who are by default relational people. And so you have people coming from big cities seeking relationship, and you have a whole population base of Pacific Islanders that that's what they do uh, by default. And so it's a really exciting mix. And then the fourth reason is that uh, strategically, Kansas is located only one hour flight from Papua New Guinea. So in terms of having a multifaceted ministry, uh, Kansas is really the place we can establish in Australia. So this is a lot like uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which I guess is up here somewhere. Uh, you know, the apostles uh, uh, started in Jerusalem 
and then they reached out strategically from there. This seems to be a natural next jump uh, for the Moriarty. So, you know, uh, the, the, the vision is there. And the invitation is that uh, just as the church here was part of our ministry uh, to Papua New Guinea, now we can continue uh, as individuals and as a church uh, to reach out from Papua New Guinea to other nations. And so uh, this week, within the next couple of days, uh, if I can, I'll be touching base with those who have partnered with us uh, previously. But if you have not been a part of uh, this ministry in reaching uh, Australia and the Pacific, I invite you to do that. So I'll be located uh, in the back. Uh, we can talk about this later. So let me pray for this church, and then Kelly will come up uh, for the lesson. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day and just for uh, the gospel that you've given, the good news to reach lost people throughout the world. And, Father, I know that this church has partnered with many people in making that vision and your dream happen, Father. And I just thank you for those that have been a part of our ministry to make this happen. Father, thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Dell, if you want to come and offer our scripture reading, please. I knew one day I would share this platform with Kelly. (laughs) What a privilege, brother. (laughs) The privilege is all mine. He called me the other day, and the first thing I said was, one of my favorite people. And he said, what was that? I said, one of my favorite people. He said, what was that? (laughs) He just wanted to hear it over and over again. Nobody's told him that before, right? Nobody has. No. But I'm glad that you were the one. (laughs) The scripture reading is uh, up on the screen, so I don't need to repeat that. If you'd like to open your pew Bibles or your own Bible... It starts in verse 25 of Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Thank you, Dale. Please stay right there, if you would, in Acts chapter 16. This is one of those great texts in the scriptures that, uh, by which we are just so wonderfully blessed. And I just need to do one thing here. Perfect. There's a sense in which I could not uh, begin to do justice to this great story. Uh, that we are in the process of looking at today. I want to look at, at the rest of the verses here, or at least some of these I'll read, and then, uh, and then we'll get into this. It, it, it's a fantastic story of faith, of God working in the lives of individuals. Um, there's just not that many places in Scripture where you see so clearly God working with people and blessing them the way that he does here. Look at, with me, if you would, at verse 16. 
Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Before the magistrates, and they said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And then the rest of the story is what Dell read. And it's these people being released from their prison. Paul and Silas being set free. There's a whole lesson here, I think, about Paul and Silas's response. Response to their being in jail and, and uh, casting this spirit of divination out of this slave girl. You know, a lot of times we kind of romanticize biblical figures. It's like uh, I can tell you a story about Paul and Silas, but it's, it's like reading a story in some ways uh, to, to a class or to children or something where they get into the story and hear about the characters, but they know that it's not real. Or it just doesn't sound so real to us. But this is a story of two men who experience exactly what the text says that they experience. And they end up standing up for their faith as real Christians in the same way that we would have to stand up for our faith today in similar circumstances. When they rid this girl of this demon, in the original language, what it says is this. It says that the magistrates grabbed these two guys and literally tore their clothes right off their backs. They stripped them naked. And then after they stripped them naked, they took, the text says, literally, some sticks or some rods, some canes. These guys get caned. That's what happens. And they are, they are beat to a bloody mess by the time all of this is over and then are thrown into jail. And so again, like for us, we tend to think, well, you know, it's almost like these figures are unreal. But these are human beings, and in this case, Christian brothers, brothers of yours and mine, who have gone into a place and preached Christ, performed an exorcism, and because God was working in their lives, working in them that way, they are beaten and put in jail for preaching about Christ. It would be like this. It would be like if Jadon Rogers and Mary Lee were working in the Ukraine. And they meet a young lady who is caught up in prostitution. And they, in the process, convert her and get her out of prostitution. And her pimp comes and grabs Jadon and Mary Lee. And they drag Jadon and Mary Lee before some Russian magistrates and say, These people have converted my source of income. 
Now, in our day and age, there would be all kinds of human rights people that would get all uptight about that. And that would be a real problem if they were beaten and thrown in jail for doing that very thing, taking away this person's source of livelihood by changing this girl's life. But that is what happens with Paul and Silas. They take away somebody's source of income, and because of that, they're beaten and thrown in jail. I don't know if that makes it any more real for you, but can you imagine that happening to J. Don and Mary Lee? It could. That would get our attention, wouldn't it? What if Jason was in Papua New Guinea and he's preaching about Jesus? And somebody's life is changed because he's preaching about Jesus in Papua New Guinea. And they grab Jason. And they take Cheryl. And they beat them to a pulp and put them in jail because they were preaching about Jesus. That would grab our attention. All of a sudden, there would be things that wouldn't be on my mind. All of a sudden, I wouldn't be thinking about some of the things that we worry about here. I wouldn't worry about how deep the snow was. I wouldn't be thinking about how cold it is outside. I wouldn't worry about whether or not I can afford a sunroof for my automobile. I wouldn't be thinking about my next holidays. I wouldn't worry about my vacation. I wouldn't worry about whether or not I'm going to get a raise. I wouldn't worry about the price of natural gas and what that's doing to my heating bill or the price of electricity. All of a sudden, what would happen is that our church would be totally centered around and focused on what's happening with Jason and Cheryl or with J. Don and Mary Lee. It would capture our attentions as brothers and sisters in Christ find themselves in a circumstance because they put themselves there trying to serve Christ. I wouldn't worry about... Whether our service started at 9 or 10, how much sleep I got. Wouldn't worry about whether or not I've got something to do and can't come to the elders' prayer session that they've called us to. I wouldn't be skimping on my contribution so that I can pay for that sunroof. All those things would be taken away from my mind by the fact that these brothers and sisters have put themselves in peril for the sake of Jesus. And now I'm focused on that. When was the last time that you were truly inconvenienced because you're a Christian? When is the last time that someone said something or did something that called you to really be inconvenienced for your faith? For most of us, it never happens. Most of us, I don't think, are inconvenienced. And there isn't even a time when the urgency of the gospel has a significant impact on our lives. Now, you might think to yourself, well, that's because we live in this culture, Kelly, and things don't happen to us like that. In fact, things don't really happen like that in the world anymore. Paul was jailed then for his faith, but he wouldn't be jailed today. It's it's just not that way. Well, since 2005, Gao Xijing, a Christian advocate for human rights, has been repeatedly arrested, imprisoned, 
and severely tortured by Chinese authorities for working on behalf of, of oppressed people. In 2006, he had a, a group of prominent human rights lawyers who created the Association of Human Rights Attorneys for Chinese Christians. That same year, Gao was sentenced to five years of probation for inciting subversion of the state. After serving three years in prison, Gao was supposedly released on probation, but he mysteriously disappeared for extended periods of time. In 2007, he was arrested and spent over 50 days behind bars where he was tortured. He says, I was beaten so badly that my whole body began shaking uncontrollably on the floor. Gao last appeared, reappeared out of police custody in April 2010. He told the Associated Press that he had been shunted between detention centers, farmhouses, and apartments across northern China. Security forces repeatedly abused him, beating him with electric batons, pistol-whipping him, and holding burning cigarettes close to his eyes. Not only is it now extremely difficult for me to make my voice heard, but it's also extremely dangerous, he wrote in an essay in 2009. In the past three-plus years, the authorities invested a great deal of manpower, physical resources, and funds and employed the most merciless methods to achieve their goal of silencing me. Recently, Gao reappeared after 20 months in a forced disappearance. He's being held in Shaya Prison in Xinjiang, China, a remote western region. Gao's family and supporters believe authorities have secretly held him in prison for much of the past two years. A Chinese court confirmed Gao was alive by sending a letter to his family saying that he would be incarcerated for three years for violating his probation. So they don't even know that he's alive for sure until the authorities send a letter and say, well, we're still going to keep him in prison for a while. And so it does happen. It may not happen to us, but there are people in our world who are literally on trial for their lives because of their faith in Jesus. Sometimes I think that the biggest trial we face is of an entirely different kind. Look at this. I think that our trial, the biggest trial we face, is the trial of allowing our materialistic culture to bombard us with temptations so that our commitment to Christ becomes for us secondary in comparison with our commitment to participate in the experiences offered to us in a culture of affluence. I think that may be our biggest trial. And it's not a trial that would put you in prison. It's not a trial that would challenge you with pain. Instead, it's a trial that challenges you to leave the gospel. It's one where affluence becomes our goal, our motivation. And the reason that we don't experience trials is because we're not really focused on what God wants us to be focused upon. Do you agree? Do you think this happens? Is this really our biggest trial? And if it is, is it a trial at all? I, I tend to think that it is. Like it looks like on the surface that it's not really a trial. It doesn't cause us pain. But this is a challenge. This is a challenge to our lives of a different kind. And the question is, what do we do with that in light of our faith? Can we look at our world? Can we look at the temptations to focus on our affluence 
and still end up focused on Jesus. Well, that's one direction we could go this morning with thinking about this text. There's another direction. And that is the question about Paul and Silas's own reaction to being in jail, to their own situation. And Paul and Silas's reaction to God's ability to take a situation of sacrifice and turn it into something wonderful. What if we find out in my apocryphal story that while they're in prison in the Ukraine, J. Don and Mary Lee spend their time rejoicing and singing praises to God because they count it all joy that they have to endure severe trials because they've been preaching Christ and freeing slave girls. What if the report came back to you and me that we heard that while J. Don and Mary Lee are incarcerated in Russia and we're trying to get them free because they themselves have set free this prostitute girl, What if we hear the report that they're singing praises to God when they're in prison? What if we hear the report that in addition to them singing praises to God in prison, that there was something wonderful that happened, that people heard the good news of Jesus and began to respond? What if Jason, instead of getting up this morning and saying, I'm heading to Australia, what if we heard him say, while I was in prison in New Guinea... It suddenly hit me that I was being persecuted for the cause of Christ. I was in jail because I was preaching. And I was so overcome in my joy for being counted worthy of the suffering for Christ that I began singing praises to God. In fact, I knew that if I was singing about Christ that other prisoners could hear me. So I kept singing in the night, preaching Christ in song. Jason, I know that didn't happen to you. But if it would have happened to him, there's a sense in which we would have been praising God for his faithfulness. For Jason being even in prison. And we would have been working to get him out of there. But there would have been something positive. Something good would be going on in the midst of his trial. If he would have been singing praises to God and people would have been coming to Christ. Now you think, well, that's just absurd. That might have happened in the Bible. That happened in Paul and Silas' day. Wouldn't happen to Jason Moriarty in New Guinea. But it does, in fact, happen today. Chris, tell me when you're ready. Watch this. Our CBN news agent team recently visited the three women in prison and they discovered they're still sharing their faith behind bars. Gary Lane has that story. The CBN news team visited Rebecca, Rodney, and Eddie at the local prison, named Rania of Indonesia, and found them in high spirits. They remain positive even though they've now spent two years in jail for a crime that most people say they did not commit. In 2005, three Sunday school teachers were put on trial after a group of Muslim radicals in the village accused them of converting their children to Christianity. Evidence was presented suggesting the Muslim parents were aware their children attended Sunday school with their Christian friends. Regardless, the court still pronounced the woman guilty and sentenced them to three years in prison. I call this person a school of staff in Gatha. I think that not easy to be, be a prisoner, but everything is easy because my life is 
group that came very faithful to me in this field. Because uh, the society of need never uh, leave me, they asked me, why you never uh, look so sad in prison? I told them that it's a joy in my heart and peace in my heart because of this. The three women did not keep their faith in Christ to themselves. They shared it with fellow inmates. Eddie Kaswara is one of them. He's in jail for stealing a motorcycle and says it was the kindness of Rebecca that led him to ask her about Jesus. I saw the kindness of Jesus on her face, and Rebecca child of God has joy on his face. I want to have the same and tell about this. A former Hindu and Muslim, Eddie embraced Christianity. I know Jesus has died for me and has forgiven us sin. When I die, I know I will be with Jesus in heaven. Inspired by biblical passages, Eddie made several paintings which Rebecca used in her Bible studies. Rebecca says she believes all the good things that happened to them inside the prison were answers to the prayers of Christians from around the world, and prayers for their early release have also been answered. Eddie, Rodna, and Rebecca will be free on parole in June. Will the three women stop teaching Sunday school to the children? That's not. No. Not like that, but we must be wise because they will watch us. But with their Heavenly Father closely watching them, as Rodman and Rebecca say, their confidence, their future is secure. Gary Lane, CBN News. No, it's not going to happen to us, probably. I don't expect to be put in jail because I stand here on Sunday morning and preach. It may happen someday. Probably not in my lifetime. But it happened to them. It's not just a story from the Bible. The things that happen to people for the cause of Christ are real. What blows me away is that these ladies aren't frowning. (laughs) Like, did you see how they sobbed because they were in prison for Jesus? Instead, there was joy there. God doing something significant in their lives and in the lives of others, even as they're incarcerated for Christ. This absolutely blows me away. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Notice how the the struggle, the trial, works something in the life of Christians. Sometimes we wonder why we're not growing more. Why is it that we don't grow in Jesus more than we are? Could it be because we don't encounter various trials? And if we do... (coughs) Encounter various trials, excuse me. Sometimes we don't count it all joy. Sometimes the Holy Spirit isn't active in us that way because we don't allow him to be. Producing in us the kind of joy that the Spirit wants to produce in us in response to just those kinds of circumstances. And maybe they come to us in far different ways. 
But God still wants to work within us his joy when we encounter those various trials. A simple faith fact. When we fail joyfully to make sacrifices for Christ, we take away God's opportunity to bless us and those around us. So here's what happens. And you know this as well as I do. It happens in my life. There are ways in which I could make sacrifices for Christ. You know, I I could give way more. All I have to do is sell my two televisions. I could sell one of my cars. I could live in a different home. Like there are sacrifices that I could make. And so could you. And we don't. And I'm as much a victim of our society, as much a victim of a mentality and what that does to us as anybody. It's hard for me to imagine Paul and Silas being victims of that mentality. And because they're not, because these ladies from Indonesia are not, God is able to do incredible things through them. Amazing things. He's able to take ladies who are in prison and convert people through them. And it's all because they're willing to make sacrifices for Christ. Now, I actually have relatively small expectations, I guess, in my own life of what I might do. And, it, and I, I confess this morning that it's a bit of a tragedy. When I look at my own life and I think of the things that I have, the things that I am. As I said, I'm as much a victim of all of this as you are. And I could make more sacrifices. And I don't. And if these texts are right, then because I fail joyfully to make sacrifices for Christ, we are, I am taking away God's opportunity to bless us and those around us. And how you apply that in your own life, I can't begin to tell you. But there's probably nobody in the room who isn't in some way free of the need to make these sacrifices for Jesus. Paul and Silas did it. (laughs) Changed the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we are a distracted people. When I think about what Paul and Silas did, when I think of what these three Indonesian ladies did, there's a part of me, God, that's just ashamed. Ashamed of my unwillingness to give more, do more, sacrifice more, give more of my time. Lord, help us where we need to, to to make the changes in our lives necessary to put you 
right where you should be. And then work your joy in us and your fruitfulness as we make sacrifices for you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.